Last night, as I was continuing to study for this morning's sermon, I, I went upstairs and um, my wife was, was watching a documentary on British royalty. Um, it's, it's interesting when you, you think for us as Americans, we don't, we don't have kings and queens, although some of our politicians think that they're maybe in that category. Um, we, we, we become just um, so interested in royalty and British royalty. Um, I looked into some of the proper etiquette for, for meeting British royalty today. One expert wrote of his experience with, with British royalty and, and, and he talked about how he first met the queen at a, a chapel and the choir sang all creatures of our God and King. Um, I always looked at, at that hymn as, as God and King being synonymous. And I'm sure that they maybe thought that it was addressed to them, but uh, looking at it, they, they, they were there. And from there, the, the royalty departed in a jolly carriage procession. And they showed pictures of these, Incredible white horses taking the the royalty and the carriage and leaving from there to their castle and um, and the queen I, I'm told is to be always addressed as your Majesty and the other family members are to be addressed as your Royal Highness and proper bows and curtsies are still expected today. If you write a letter to the queen, it's to begin with. May it please your majesty. And then you write what you're going to say. And you always end with, I have the honor to remain, madam, your majesty's most humble and obedient servant. Um, you you kind of lose the humility just even in the midst of writing that. You know, I am the most humble. Um, but you look and you see it and, 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 and you, you see that that. Just watching it on TV with my wife for a little bit last night, you could just see that that the people are just amazed to be able just to get a glimpse of the queen, of a princess, of a prince. There's thousands of people that go to to the weddings, and everything is perfect. And there's millions upon millions that are watching these weddings taking place. The closest that I ever came to, to royalty in, in England was with Pastor Matt probably over 15 years ago when we got invited to the House of Lords to meet one of the baronesses there, the deputy speaker of the House of Lords there. And we tried to know, like, what do we do? Like, you know, you go in and there's the green side where, um, you, you know, you have, you have the green side and the red side and... And the House of Lords are all on one side, and the House of Commons are all on the other side, and, and we had tea and crumpets with this baroness. And, and I don't know how well you know Pastor Matt. The guy, he's hilarious. I mean, he, I, in my opinion, he is one of the funniest people I've, I've, I know. He's just, he's just funny. But his humor doesn't translate very well. It just, it just doesn't. And... and um, and so he's there and, you know, he says, we were in the underground and we saw all these murals that were there of all your different wars. But 
I didn't see the Revolutionary War there. And it was, it was so bad. Yeah, I, it wasn't, there wasn't a smirk. It was like, it was like you killed their puppy. And all of a sudden, like, we knew, like, they're, they're not over this yet. The, the, it's, they're just not. And I, as so as I was reading this, what I read was, do what you're told and you're most likely to be invited back. Behave in an inappropriate manner and you'll be cast into social Siberia. And as a result of Pastor Matt, we have been there in social Siberia for the last 15 years, never invited back. But you see how there's the, the, the queen, and um, I don't know if you know how she got there, but her, uh, there was King Edward, who was the king, and he, he ended up falling in love with an American, and uh, she had been, this American woman had been divorced twice. And that was a no-no as far as you couldn't be a king and marry someone that had been divorced um, much less twice. And it probably didn't help that she was American. And so as a result, he stepped down from the, the throne as king. And his brother, who became King George VI, became the king of England. And the current queen is the eldest daughter of him. And so you look at this and you see how they respond. You see all that takes place as far as the British royalty and how you get there and how you become queen or how you become a prince or how you become a princess and all of these different things. And then you look at Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who does whatsoever he wills to do. I I was... Um, just blessed by the call or the, the scripture reading that we just did in Isaiah 44. But just hear the, the, the words of our sovereign Lord. I'll read it to you again. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who can speak and proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid, for I have told you from that time and declare it. You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, is there no other rock? I know not one. What a God we serve, huh? I mean, as far as royalty is concerned, he just goes forth and just says, I'm the first and I'm the last. There is no other God. I, I declare things to take place. I determine things to take place. Nobody can stop what I say is going to take place. Nobody can thwart my hand. I appoint times. I appoint things that are going to take place, and it always happens like I say. There is no other God besides me. And you hear the words of, of, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you hear what he says, and it's, it's not difficult to just find ourselves amazed at the God that we serve. You could have kings that desire to have huge empires and, and declare that, that everybody must do what they they say, 
But then you'll have those that are uprising against him. And there's nothing that he can do. Not if it's a big enough uprising. And yet for our God, for our king, there's no one that can stop him. You think of the processions that they have around these earthly kings. And let's read in our text this morning the procession that is there for the king of kings. In John chapter 12, verse verse 12. The next day, (coughs) a great multitude had come to the feast. And when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that that, that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip, and who, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee. And they asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. This narrative here of what took place in that time that's known as the the triumphal entry of, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, the palm branches waving We could read this and read over it quickly and just say, well, what a special time. Here's Jesus, and he's there, and he's riding in on a colt. It's so humble, although it could be known as as a royal animal. The fact is is, is that a horse was known as that which was to be one of of warfare, and the the colt, the foal of a donkey, is one that is to be used in a time of peace. And having one that had never been written, that idea of an animal that... Even being a part of the sacrifice of taking Christ down to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem to to go to the cross. An animal could never have been used in any way if it was ever going to be sacrificed. And we have this this colt, this full of a donkey, never been ridden on, that's taken Jesus up to Jerusalem. We find all of these things taking place and you can look at it and say, "How, how sweet this must have been. Palm branches being waved, this, this sign of just rejoicing. You have other passages in Scripture that refer to palm branches being waved and, and this joyful, joyful time. Even in the book of Revelation, there'll be a time in which palm trees are waved once again towards our king. But as I read this passage, what came to me over and over again is, 
God's sovereignty and him being in control of all that was going to take place. You, you see in this, in this passage, these things have been prophesied beforehand. Beginning in the, in the book of, of Genesis, talking about binding this donkey to the vine and, and this donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments with wine and his clothes with the blood of, of grapes and this picture of, of Christ, that vine, being actually that vine. And this prophecy that's given then, you find it later on in, in, in Zechariah where in Zechariah 9.9 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus were to ever be there and tell his disciples, as we see in the other accounts, where he tells them to go into the city next to him. I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. He says, he says to the disciples, go into the village opposite you. You'll, where you'll enter, you'll find a colt tied and on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you loosening it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And so we find this taking place as, as Luke records it, exactly the way that Jesus said. He goes, <coughs> disciples go, find this colt, the foal of a donkey, tied up. They take it. They say, why are you taking it? They explain. And he goes. But the detail that's coming into the life of our Lord in which it's, it's, it's not just little detail. It's not just, you know, like, go try to find a donkey. Hopefully you go find one in the city. It's no go find a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's going to be tied up there. This is what they're going to say. Respond like this. Bring him to me. Even beyond that, um, we see incredible detail that is working out to where Jesus is working at this specific period of time. In the in our text this morning, in verse twenty three. Jesus says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has come. Now is the time in which the Son of Man is going to be glorified. The hour has come. You remember all throughout the Gospels, there's over and over times where Jesus will say things like, my time has not yet come. Or he goes into a place of, of he leaves the people because they're ready to kill him. And the reason why is because his time has not yet come. But what we're told here at this time is the hours come. Now is the time that the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Now is the time that it's going to happen. It's interesting when you begin to look at this and, and, you, and you begin to look at the detail of all that's taking place. In the book of Daniel chapter 9, if you'll turn there with me for a moment. Daniel chapter 9. In verse 20, we have a prophecy that's given here in Daniel 9.20. If you don't have your Bibles, there's Bibles that are there under the pews. But in Daniel 9, verse 20, it says, Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, 
being caused to to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. And so you have this angel flying and coming. I'm going to give you skill to understand. Verse 23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So here it comes. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now therefore, or know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. Now, we, we could read that back in the time of Daniel and say, okay, there's like detail that's given here. But what, is, what does it mean? What, what does this vision mean? Here are the angels coming. I'm going to give you knowledge. I'm going to enable you to understand these things. But what does it mean? In the Hebrew, the, the, the word week simply means seven. Okay, so it's not a week like we would think of, you know, we'll see you guys here next week. It, it's just a word that means we'll see you seven. Seven. Um, it means seven. So there's 70 sevens. It, it doesn't in itself identify days. It just says weeks. It doesn't identify months. It doesn't identify years. It just means 70 sevens. And so here this, this command goes forward, this prophecy that's given. It first says that there's going to be seven weeks or, or seven sevens, which is 49 years in the city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt, being rebuilt. And after that came 62 weeks, bringing the period to 69 seven-year periods. The command to restore and build Jerusalem, rebuild Jerusalem, came from Artaxerxes on March 14th, 445 B.C., according to Nehemiah 2.1. So we know, we know the date. You know the exact date. The date was 445, 445 B.C., according to Nehemiah 2.1. Palm Sunday, what's taking place here as we're reading, is thought to have occurred on April 6th of 32 A.D. Um, They would know based upon the calendar and the Passover and when these things would have taken place and what would have happened that week before on that particular Sunday. And there's a, there's a man, Sir Robert Anderson. Um, he was the chief of the criminal investigation department from the Scotland Yard from 1888 to 1896 that got really interested in this and wrote like a 300-page book called The Coming Prince on, on this subject. And so he goes into this just incredible detail of what it's referring to in Daniel chapter 9 and, and, and how it relates to, to Palm Sunday. 
He goes through and talks about how our days today are 365 days, but back then it was, it was 360 days that were in a year. Um, he gives several examples of, of how that is and how that took place. And he goes through all of the detail and going through the exact number of days that it would have taken to get from the time that Jerusalem was to rebuild to Palm Sunday. And the number of days that are there are, it's, it's thought that the number of days would come to 173,880 days. 173,880 days. So if the seven sevens is what we're talking about and all that took place, that's where we'd come to is 173,880 days. And so he goes through and says, how does that happen? Is that the number of days? Is that what we come to? You subtract one year because 1 BC and 1 AD are the same year. So that's easy. Um, So we're at 476 years and 24 days. And you convert that to solar years to 365 days. And then you add in the leap year for every four years. And you get the 119 additional days and you get to to 173,883 days. And so you, you look at it, and if, if you're going to follow his line of thinking, it's possible for you to look at that and say, that's awesome. I mean, it's just, it's like three days short. It, it's pretty close. I mean, if, if, if we're going to go with it, you know, like the Bible's fairly accurate. But we know that's not just fairly accurate. The Bible is perfect. Um, so right now we are three days too many. But what's interesting is that we, we think of a year as 365.25 days. And, and as a result, you have the .25 brings you to every four years you get a leap year. That's how we think. But it's based on our year being 365 days plus six hours. That's what we base it off of. But in reality, our year is, is 10 minutes and 48 seconds shorter, um, or 365 days, 5 hours, and 49 minutes and 12 seconds. So if you take that, I mean, as far as like what the actual year is, that's what it is. We round it. But that's what it is. And so that makes it so that there's too many leap years every four centuries, which resulted in an 11-day error that was corrected in 1752. It was known as the Gregorian Reform. And so on, in 1752, on the 3rd of September, it was to be the 11th of September. And that was known as the, the Gregorian Reform. And that's what happened. It's just history. They, those guys that figure out the calendars and how everything works said, like, no, you, you actually have 5 hours, 49 minutes, 12 seconds. How do we deal with that? Let's just make it so September 3rd is September 14th, and then we fix it all. So they did. And so from the time the command was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem from Artaxerxes on March 14th, 445 B.C. until Palm Sunday on April 6th, 32 A.D., it's exactly 173,880 days or 69 seven-year periods. 
till Christ came riding in on the foal of a donkey the exact day that that prophecy said it would occur. It's radical, isn't it? I mean, God's not looking on like, oh, they're never going to know. This is just five hours and, you know. They're not going to think 49 minutes, 12 seconds. Let's just, we'll just, I'm just going to throw in a round number. No, he, he came to that moment when he was going to ride in on that colt, the foal of that donkey that was tied up in the exact way in which he said at the appointed time. There was a time in which God determined before he ever set any of this in motion in which his son would come on a colt, the foal of a donkey, 173,880 days from the time that the command was given to rebuild Jerusalem. And it happened. To me, I look at this and I see a God in whom we serve who truly is the King of Kings in the Lord of Lords. There's nothing that's too hard for him. He's a God of detail, and he knows it altogether. When you look in Revelation, you have those saints that have been killed for their faith, and they're saying, how much longer, how much longer? And the response is, wait, until the number of those people who are to die in the same way occurs. I mean, to think that there's a number of martyrs, and he already knows altogether exactly who they are. I look at that and, and, and I see a God that, that has a plan. And when he says things are going to take place, they are going to take place. When he says in Isaiah 44, there is no other God besides me. When he says things like, I declare things to take place. We know that he is a God that can be trusted. There's times for us where we we, we can have ourselves in places where it feels like things are out of control. Ever felt like that? You feel like, like you, what what do I do? I, I, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if this doesn't work right? right, Or, and, and what if someone passes away that I love? Or what, what if, and so, we try to protect ourselves from all those things, don't we? I, I know there's, there's people that, that, that struggle with just incredible um, stress and anxiety in, in, in these kinds of areas. Different things in your life where there's just the uncertainties of what might happen. I, I mean, I, I, I can think of one time in my life where I, I know like there was like this crazy like anxiety attack. I was in a... Uh, SUV in Africa in a little village called Kariandongo, a refugee camp. And we got there late, and me and another pastor said, let's just sleep in here. There's no mosquitoes. We can just seal up the windows. We'll sleep in here. It's like the safest place around. And I'm in that thing. I'm trying to sleep. I slept for a little bit. I wake up, and this guy next to me, the other pastor, is just snoring like, like you would not believe. And, and, and it was so hot in there. And I literally, like, I... I was convinced 100% that he had sucked all the air out of this place. 
I was convinced into where I'm like, and I started hyperventilating. I had never had this happen to me before, but I just started hyperventilating. And I'm like, I got to get out. I got to get out. I got to get out. I got, and, and I just, I raced out of the vehicle after, I mean, I, I stayed in there for a while because I'm thinking like there's mosquitoes. I'm going to get malaria for sure, you know? And then, and then I got to, a, I didn't care if I got bit a million times. I, I'm out of this vehicle before I die. And, and I got out. I, was, <laughs> I couldn't breathe. And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, you sucked all the air out of the vehicle. Yeah, I, there was no oxygen left in there, you know? And it was just, it, it like consumed everything. I had to get out of this vehicle. I had to get out. And, and there's, other been time, there's been other times where I feel something similar, but some of you deal with that all the time, don't you? It's just the stress that can become overwhelming on you. And to be able to preach to yourself things like what we've been looking at this morning. Times where things seem out of control and yet God's saying, I know the day. I'll tell you 173,880 days before it happens that this is going to happen on this day. And it does. I tell you that I'm the King of kings and I'm the Lord of lords. I'm going to tell you that I declare things from the very beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done. And they happen. I tell you that there's going to be a colt, the full of a donkey, it's going to be tied up like this. And I'll tell you in the book of Genesis, I'll tell you again in Zechariah, I'll explain these things to you so that when it comes to pass, you know that I am he, I am the Messiah, I have come, and I've come to take away your sin. And to have this stability of a God in whom we serve, in which there is nothing that's too hard for him. There's no one that can stop him. There's no one that can just mess up his plans. I find people saying things sometimes like, what if I just, you know, what if God had this other plan for me and, and I didn't go that way and now I'm here and I'm stuck and I just, I should have gone that other way. And, and in those times, sometimes it usually relates to like, No, if God did not want you to marry that person, then he would have stopped it. You may have been in sin in marrying him or her because they were an unbeliever or it wasn't right. But at this point, like, God allowed that to happen and you can't unscramble a scrambled egg. This is, this is, if you come in with this thing, this is what I'm going to tell you. You cannot unscramble a scrambled egg. It happened. It was sin. But God decreed for these things to take place. And he will give you the strength to get through it. He will hold you. He will comfort you. He will minister to you. He will cause you in this time in which you're looking at your circumstances, your marriage, your health, whatever it is. And he'll say to you things like, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength's made perfect in your weakness. And you will cling to him. And you are not just clinging to a God who is out there that may be in control. You are clinging to one in whom declares things to take place. And it always happens. God is commanding things to take place here. There's those that are coming out and they're saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And they're saying, save now, save us, save now. 
The interesting part is that passage, Hosanna, or Save Now, it, it comes from Psalm 118, where the psalmist says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Save now. Hosanna. Save. That, that's what they're quoting as they, as they see him. And they're waving these palm branches. And all this is happening. Ironically, not ironically, prophetically. That, that comes from Psalm 118 where the verses right before that say this. I will praise you for you have answered me and you've become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And then it goes on to say, save now. I mean, the very text in which they are saying, if they would just go a couple verses before, they're describing what is taking place. He's coming. He's coming and he has become our salvation. There's no longer a need for a sacrifice to be made from an animal. He is going to become the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is going to become our salvation. The stone which the builders reject, <coughs> rejected has become the chief cornerstone. What, what is that? Jesus makes it very clear that that stone in which the builders rejected was who? It was him. He was being rejected. These guys that are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some of these same people are the ones that are going to be there saying, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Just a short period of time later. They are going to be ones, the ones that have rejected that stone, Christ, who is the chief cornerstone. It says, this was the Lord's doing. It, has, it, it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. A day in which it was determined and yet, Jesus is going to be rejected by them. Jesus, from there, when he had found the young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him. And they had to be, and that they had done these things to him. Um, in the disciples' mind, it was he is going to come and just overthrow the Romans. So many of them just thought, like, he's going to come and set up his kingdom now. And can I sit at your right hand? Can I sit at your left? Can we be there with you? But after he died, they went back and said, all of these things were done just like he said it was going to happen in Scripture. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they had heard that he had done this sign. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. 
They're watching all this take place with the palm branches being waved and him riding in and them saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're saying the whole world is following him now. You have the Greeks that are there. You have Jews that are there. You have people that are there. And they're saying, Hosanna. They're, they're calling out to him. They're, they're taking their clothes and putting it on the colt, the foal of a donkey. They're laying their clothes there before him on the street. There's this great procession that's taking place. And here he is coming in and, and riding on, on this, this colt, this, the, the, the foal of the donkey. And, and our whole plan is being destroyed from their perspective. The whole world has gone after him. I find it interesting that, that Jesus, um, from Luke's account, we're told that he's, he's coming down and, and this whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus is now coming. The day has come. The day is at hand. And so he says to them, if, if these disciples, if they stop at this point, the stones, these rocks are going to cry out. This is the day in which Everybody has been looking forward to as far as in redemptive history of when the Lamb of God would come and come to Jerusalem and come to a place of being betrayed, taken, crucified. And Jesus says, if they stop, the stones will cry out. We're told as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. So we see this, this triumphal entry. And yet we see our Lord coming in and he looks upon the city and begins to, we- begins to weep over it. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Did that take place? Absolutely. 70 AD. They're sacked. What ends up happening is, 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 is it's burned. The gold comes down within the crevices of the bricks. They take apart every brick, brick, taking the gold out that's fallen in between the crevices. Not one stone is left upon another. It all happened exactly the way that he said. And so Jesus is saying these things are happening. And verse 20 says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of, of, of Galilee. And they asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying this, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain.
He's talking about a salvation that is going to be taking place in which he is going to die. And yet the result of it is going to be, for one, you and I sitting here this morning, saved. A harvest that was reaped as a result of Christ and his death upon the cross. The gospel would go forward to all the nations. The gospel would go forward from continent to continent. And at some point, the Lord would bring the gospel to you and to I. We serve a God of detail. We serve a God that says, I know the number of hairs that are on your head. I know them. I know. I know when you sit down and I know when you rise up. I know your thoughts when they're still afar off. I've determined your time, your boundaries, your dwelling places. I determined these things so that you would grope for me and find me, though I wasn't far away. We serve a God who has determined these things. It wasn't by chance that you heard the gospel, and it wasn't by chance that your eyes were open to where there was none that you would desire besides him. It's all of him. It's what he has done. We look just briefly at some of the details of what took place on this particular day when our king came. And it was determined. You have kings that think they're so powerful, but there is none powerful as the Lord our God. There's none like him. He declares things. And he declares things in our lives. Um, brothers and sisters, I know that, that, that you may be in a place of just, what's going on with my life? Or why are things like this? Or when is it going to be better? And this is not my timing I expect you to be at this point in, in my life. I expect you to be here by this time. And you're not there and things aren't the way that you imagine it or maybe not the way that you dreamed of it. And there's things that have happened in your life in which you had no control over and then there's some things in which you very much did have control over and you fell into sin and there's struggles that took place and there's fruit that you're reaping as a result of that. But to be in a place of knowing that you serve a God who knows all these things. To know that you serve a God who determines things to take place to the day, to the day, to the hour, to the minute. For me, it's the greatest comfort when you come into places of just incredible tragedy or come into places of incredible anxiety or come into places of not knowing what's around the corner or coming to places where... It's just weighty upon you to cast your cares upon one in whom he determines things to the day, even 173,808 days before it happens, or even in your salvation before the foundations of this earth, as he tells us. That is the one in whom you trust. That is the one in whom is your king. That is the one in whom we submit and cast our cares upon and we leave those things in very good hands, don't we? There's nothing too hard for them. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for our text this morning. Um, when you said the time was at hand, it was. 
you determined that Egypt would suffer, the people, your, your people in Egypt would suffer as they did. That Pharaoh's heart would be hardened. Plagues would come upon them and then would come that final plague in which there's the Passover lamb. All of these pointing to Christ who was to come. Jesus is there on that Sunday getting ready to walk with all of those those other lambs going in for the sacrifice and people are waving palm branches and he's on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Just as you said. But it was on that day because you determined it. Circumstances were set up so that we would know that you are our Messiah. You told us these things would happen hundreds, even thousands of years beforehand so that we would know that when you came, that you were he. And I pray that on this morning, we would worship you as our king, as our savior, as our Lord. And that we, your people, would just have incredible confidence in you. Cause us to just cast our cares upon you this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.